You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Father, we praise the name of Jesus, the Great One. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we are saved. Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And now you, Father, have highly exalted him with a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God. Father, thank you. Thank you that we today can celebrate the name of Jesus and the offering of Jesus with his own life so that we can be saved and know you. Your name is great. Your son is great. Thank you for this time we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. My name is Jason Locke. I'm the senior pastor here at Harvest York Region. Whether this is your first time at, at church, at our church, or you call Harvest your home, we're very glad that you are here today. Easter is the most important event on the calendar year for the Christian. It is a time where we remember the significance of the death of Christ and celebrate his resurrection. And this April at our church, we've been looking at the Easter story through the eyes of a skeptical man, a man named Pontius Pilate. Pilate was the political figure who authorized Jesus to be executed by death on a cross. And when Pilate first met Jesus, he actually just dismissed him outright, but eventually started to get really conflicted and wonder if this man was really all that he said he was. And his attitude towards Jesus has allowed us to look at uh, cultural attitudes that much of our society has towards Jesus, skeptical uh, questions that people have. We've asked questions like, is Christianity even relevant anymore? Uh, wasn't Jesus just a good moral teacher? And today, we're going to go back into the Easter story through the eyes of Pontius Pilate and be able to ask another important question today that I believe God's word will answer for us. My Bible's open to John chapter 19, verse 16 to 23. This is the story that we're considering today. John chapter 19, verse 16 says, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then down in verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When I was in university, I did a lot of road tripping. Home was Stovall, Ontario, but school was Lynchburg, Virginia. And to travel to Lynchburg, Virginia and back for holidays, I had to drive about 1,200 kilometers around eight times a year. And when you road trip around the continental U.S. like I did, uh, you get to see a lot of unique bumper stickers. 
I saw all kinds of them. Political campaign bumper stickers, environmental activism bumper stickers, my student is on the honor roll bumper stickers, my truck is better than your truck bumper stickers, and not a few different types of religious bumper stickers. One of them I saw a lot, you may be familiar with, it's on the screen. This is the uh, coexist bumper sticker. It's very popular if you do road tripping. It got really popular up in the, to the early 2000s, but then it really took off when the band U2 used it as the focal point of their world tour in 2005. And, and this bumper sticker has come to symbolize an attitude that a pluralistic society like ours has towards religious tolerance, that can't we just treat everybody equally? That's the question that we hope to answer today. That's the question that's behind this bumper sticker. Aren't all religions basically the same anyway? And I believe that we're going to be able to find an answer from God's word through this story of Jesus' crucifixion. You may not know a lot about Jesus, but the basics is that Jesus Christ was a traveling preacher who went around the regions of Judea and Galilee during the first century preaching a message of the kingdom of God. And uh, the established religious leaders of that time got really envious of Jesus because of his popularity. And they were so envious that they conspired to kill him. But during the time in the first century, Israel, the Jewish nation, was an occupied state. It was an occupied state under Roman control. And uh, so the Jews conspired with the Roman representative in Judea, Pontius Pilate, trying to get Pilate to put Jesus to death. So first they tried to uh, say that Jesus was guilty of a uh, political crime. They said, he's claiming to be a king. He's claiming to be the king of the Jews, and if he is a king, then he's a threat to Roman occupation, and you need to put him down. Pilate didn't really buy that. But then they said that he was guilty of a religious crime. They said uh, he, he is fraudulently claiming to be God himself. You need to put him down. That actually spooked Pilate. It spooked him, but he didn't want to kill Jesus. He wanted to release Jesus. But Pilate is a morally ambiguous political figure. And he made a lot of compromises throughout the trial of Jesus to try and appease the Jews, and he kind of backed himself into a corner that he didn't want to be. And he had to reluctantly make the decision to hand Jesus over to be crucified. Through Pilate's compromised morality and the Jewish leader's murderous envy, it's clear that the malice of man was at work to send Jesus to the cross. Yet, there's another individual who had an eyewitness view of everything that was happening. One of Jesus' followers, a man named John, who actually wrote this historical account that we have, John was an eyewitness to the trial of Jesus. John was an eyewitness to the crucifixion of Jesus, and John noticed unexpected things that were happening when Jesus was being crucified. John noticed that there were ancient predictions made in Scripture that were being fulfilled as Jesus was dying. Certainly, the malice of man was at work in sending Jesus to the cross, but 
John noticed that the plans of God were being completed through the cross. The cross. Aren't all religions basically the same? The cross... The cross distinguishes Jesus as the only hope for all of humanity. The only hope for me, the only hope for you. And I want to show you the three ways that ancient predictions are fulfilled through the cross. And you can see that in the passage every time that John notes that the scripture was fulfilled. The first instance of this is in John 19 verse 23. If you have your Bible, look at that with me. It says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which said, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. The soldiers gambled for Jesus' clothes, like spoils of war. And John remembers the ancient predictions made in Psalm 22 and in Psalm 69. These were predictions made by the greatest king of Israel, King David. You might not know much about Christianity or the Bible, but you probably know that there was a story of a, a giant named Goliath who was killed by a little boy named David. David was the greatest king of Israel, but he predicted that an even greater king would come after him. Yet when he came, he predicted that he would be rejected and ridiculed, even that the people that hated him would gamble for his clothes. John saw this happen and recognized Jesus is that promised king. We see another fulfillment in John chapter 19, verse 31. Verse 31 says this, Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, and of the others who had been crucified. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Verse 36 for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones were broken. Crucifixion was gruesome. Of all of the forms of torture that humanity has invented, this might be one of the worst. Being nailed at your wrists and at your feet to a plank of wood kills you over a long time. But it doesn't kill you by blood loss, it kills you by suffocation. Because eventually you get exhausted from trying to hold your body up and you can't breathe. But they wanted them to be sure that they were dead before the next day happened because it was a special day where they could do no work. So in order to kill them faster and make them exhausted quicker, they would break their legs. John saw this, but he saw that Jesus' legs weren't broken because he was already dead. John saw that they confirmed that he was dead by taking a spear and thrusting it up under his ribcage into his heart to ensure that he was dead, and they didn't break his bones. And John remembers the ancient requirement of the law in Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, God gives a commandment that every year a lamb should be offered as sacrifice. 
it should be killed for the sins of the people to be forgiven. But it was required of the law that the bones of that animal should not be broken, that the bones of the lamb should be intact. Before Jesus' three-year preaching tour, a unique man of God saw Jesus, pointed at him, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John saw that Jesus was killed, but his bones weren't broken and recognized. Not only is he king, but he is also the promised Savior who was given as a sacrifice so that we could be forgiven for our sins once for all. And then finally, in chapter 19, verse 34, we see a third fulfillment. Chapter 19, verse 34 says, One of the soldiers pierced the side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He saw it bore witness. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth, that you may also may believe. Verse 37, And again, another scripture said, They will look on him whom they have pierced. When John sees the soldiers thrust the spear into Jesus' side, he remembers the ancient prediction in Zechariah 12, verse 10. In this prediction, God himself promises that God would come from heaven to earth to be with man and restore his people to a relationship with himself. But that when he came, his own people would reject him and ridicule him, even to the point of afflicting him and piercing him. John sees Jesus first have his clothes gambled for. And he says, this is the king. He sees that his bones were broken and recognized this is the savior. He sees that he was pierced and recognized this is the promised son of God himself that came to be with us. Certainly, the malice of man was at work to send Jesus to the cross, but the plans of God were completed. And the cross distinguishes Jesus as the only hope for all of humanity. Now, I'll readily admit these concepts are religious, abstract, and might be a little unfamiliar to you if you're not aware of Christianity or the Bible. This idea of like a promised king and a savior who would die once for all and God with us might sound like foreign language to you, and you may have even glossed over as we were talking about this. I've, I've done a little traveling overseas in countries where English isn't the first language, and I find that, like, maybe, I'd say, ignorant Westerners like me, sometimes when they're going to a place where English isn't the spoken language, still some reason think that people can understand what they're saying. But if they don't understand what I'm saying, if I just speak a little slower and speak a little louder, they'll get it. You know, maybe you went traveling one time or if we went traveling one time when we got lost but wanted a meal and we would go to a local local and ask them, hey, do you know where there's a McDonald's close by? Huh? Do you know where McDonald's? Okay, that doesn't help at all. And listen, I get it. These religious concepts might seem so foreign to you that it's like, we're speaking another language. And you might, as a non-Christian or a curious skeptic, be asking yourself, king, we don't need a king, we govern ourselves. We don't need a savior. Any problem that humanity comes across, we can solve by our own ingenuity. We don't need a god. We are our own measure for what it means to be human. 
Well, take away the titles. Forget the titles, King, Savior, God, and just think about what would come as a result of those roles actually being established. Imagine if there was actually a righteous and just king who came. You might not think that, think that we need a king, but I see a world that is longing for true justice. And in, I see a world that has no government that can accurately and adequately treat all people fairly and equally. You might not think that we need a savior, but I see a world that is broken and suffering and in bondage. I see a world that's in, in bondage to selfish ambition, the type of selfish ambition that will step over their neighbor to get whatever they want. I, I see a people in bondage to, to harmful addictions that keep them from enjoying a, a prosperous life. I see conflict that we inflict on ourselves that we need to be freed from. You might not think that we need God, but I see a world and I see a generation that maybe more than any generation that's come recently is lost and confused, grasping to find any sense of purpose or peace or joy, but can't find any of it. These are the things that the hope of the cross alone offers. The cross distinguishes Jesus as the only hope for all of humanity because you see the problems that are in the world all of the injustice that happens all of the suffering and bondage that exists and and all of the confusion is a result of sin the scripture says that all of these things are a result of our own collective decision deliberate or subconscious to reject god as being the one whom we follow now, there are other worldviews and other religions that offer some kind of a solution. But every other worldview, every other religion, every other philosophy that's looking for a solution to our problems is all a repackaged version of the same message. If you try hard, you might have enough. If you meditate enough, you might find peace. If you do enough rituals, you might be forgiven. If you strive hard enough, if you're moral enough, you might find mercy. But the cross is evidence that Jesus is enough. Because there's nothing that we can do to reunite us back to God. The solution that we need to see the suffering of the world alleviated is only in God himself. By rejecting God, we rejected life and followed a path of death. By rejecting God, we rejected the light and chose to walk in the darkness. But the good news is that God did not leave us there. We put ourselves in this mess, but God purposed to bring us out of it. The reason we're in it is because of our sin. And the cross shows us that Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Jesus suffered for our sins so that we could be saved. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we could be forgiven. Jesus was rejected by the Father so that we could be accepted. All of the hope all that we need, that we want, 
that we crave is assured through faith in Jesus Christ. No more wondering if I've done enough, if I'm moral enough, if I'm ritualistic enough, if I'm striving enough. Christ is enough. The cross distinguishes Jesus as the only hope for all of humanity. Believe in him, friend, and you will have assurance of that hope today. That there is a king whom you can follow who will lead you in justice and mercy. That there is a savior who will forgive you and free you from the bondage of pain to have joy and peace. And there is a God who will be with you forever. Who can give you a sense of peace and purpose that nothing else can offer. The cross distinguishes Jesus as the only hope for all of humanity. Believe in him. When Pilate nailed Jesus to the cross, he wrote on the inscription, this is the king of the Jews. I have written what I have written. I killed this king. Pilate thought he made the final decision, but Jesus had the last word. It is finished. Believe in him, and his death can be the start of your new life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that there is hope. Thank you that we can have peace and joy and purpose, that we can have justice and mercy, that we can have freedom and forgiveness, not by our own effort, because that's never enough, but by your own work, by your own mercy, by your own grace. Thank you for the cross. The suffering of Christ, of Christ proves there's a price for my sin, a consequence for my sin. The suffering of Christ proves that you love us enough to offer a solution for our sin. Thank you, Lord God. Father, would we live our lives in light of the cross of Jesus Christ day by day. Thank you for the sacrifice on the cross and for the hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.